Yeah, give them a hand. You can give them a hand. They do a great job every single week, and we are grateful for their ministry. Well, good morning, everyone, and I am glad to see you all. If I've not had the chance to meet you yet, my name is Pastor Adrian Pina, and I have the opportunity to serve here at Firewell Bible Fellowship as the interim pastor. Thank you guys for those of you who are joining us online as well. Uh, we'd love to connect with you, and we know that there are many places you could choose to worship. We are grateful that you are here today. So this morning, we are going to continue on our sermon series that we started last week on the book of Esther. So what we did last week is we kind of introduced the historical setting of the book. We told you a little bit about the historical context and some of the events that lead up to the book of Esther. We also talked a little bit about the cultural kind of situation of what is going on and why there are still Jews in Persia. But we also looked at chapter 1 where we introduced the king of Persia. His name is Ashuerus or as his Greek name is known as Xerxes. And we were introduced to this king who was all about the appearances, specifically the appearance of wealth and the appearance of power. Now, our one true statement from last week as means of review was this. Be obsessed with God and not appearances. Be obsessed with God and not appearances. And I gave you two very important theological themes and two theological concepts that are found throughout the book of Esther. We already saw them at work in chapter 1, and we're definitely going to see them at work in chapter 2 as well. So I want you to remember these two key terms when, as we continue on in our journey through this book. Number one was the sovereignty of God. The sovereignty of God talks about God's comprehensive rule over all of life. Sovereignty really has to do with his authority and his power, that he has the right to rule because he is God, he is creator, he has all power. So it, ex it really talks about the extent of his rule, his power, his authority. The providence of God, which I have subtitled this series, talks about God's gracious activity through history. It's the outworking of his sovereignty. It's how sovereignty then moves into action. How is God actually doing on the stage of the human drama, actively moving and doing his thing, okay? Now, I want you to keep these in mind because when we pick up in chapter 2 today, we are going to finally get introduced to the person to whom this book is actually named. So we're going to get our introduction into Esther, into chapter 2. But we are definitely going to see this concept of providence working as we explore this chapter. Now, how many of you have ever seen the show The Bachelor? Anybody ever seen The Bachelor? We got Bachelor fans out there. Some of y'all shouted and y'all out Bachelor fans, okay? Now, today's sermon I entitled The Bachelor, and this is really season one of The Bachelor in a very twisted and kind of demented kind of way. But basically, that's what it is. So The Bachelor, if you don't know about it, when I did my research uh, for this message, I do not watch the show, but I know, I mean, it's a cultural phenomenon. I know about the show. I found out that this season is going to be the 26th season of The Bachelor. 26th season. And it's already been renewed for its 27th season, so you will get another taste of it uh, as it's already been renewed. The show has been on since 2002. So over 20 years now, we have had The Bachelor. The show's description per IMDb is this. A single bachelor dates multiple women over several weeks, narrowing them down to hopefully find his true love. The show's success has led to numerous different spinoffs. The Bachelorette it has also uh, led to spinoffs in other countries, basically replicating this model. So, uh, of course, as reality TV, we know that this has to be real, right? 
So our reality TV is a, a scope into the perception of what is really going on, uh, and this is definitely real stuff in that way. Now the show's, uh, granted, as I said, it's a cultural phenomenon, but everybody knows that the best dating advice you can give to somebody who is single is to put them in a house full of single women and date each one of them, and somehow you're going to come out with your true love. That's great dating advice, okay? Makes for a good reality show, but I don't know so much about dating advice. Now, remember in chapter 1, King Ashuerus demotes and then removes, essentially, his queen, Queen Vashti, because of uh, her perceptive, uh, her disregard for what he had said to do, okay? And so he gets mad at her, and getting mad at her, he removes her as his queen. So now he becomes the most eligible bachelor in the entire kingdom. And it just so happens that the most eligible bachelor just is the king. So the king is now number one on the list, okay? He's like the Forbes 100, right? And now he wants to, he's eligible. Now he's on the market. Now Vashti's removal sets the stage for the first ever season of The Bachelor. And now here's my one true statement for you, and I want to, this is going to come very clearly as we work through the text, is that God works through flawed people and circumstances for his purposes. Let me say that again. God works through flawed people and flawed circumstances in that way for his purposes. In chapter 2, we're going to get introduced not only to Esther, but also to Mordecai. And we see that these characters, Mordecai, Esther, and the king, certainly for this matter, are all flawed in their own ways. And yet God is about to bring into work, as he's working behind the scenes, a way and means of saving his people that comes out of very nasty situation. Chapter 2 is extremely relevant and timely for the culture we live in today. I'm gonna, we're going to get very real and very raw. We're going to talk about one of the things that most people don't like to talk about in church. It's three letters, and it ends with the, word, ends with the letter X and starts with the letter S. And I'll let you fill in what the, what the letter goes in the middle, okay? So if you have your Bible and want to open with me, you can open up to Esther chapter 2. If you want to follow along electronically, it'll be on the screen as well. We're going to work through the text. We're going to work through verses 1 to 18 today. So there's going to be a lot of reading, but we're going to make a lot of elaboration as we go on. And so we are going to, the way we're going to break this message down is number one is we're going to get introduced to the bachelor. We're going to look at the dating profile of the king. Number two is we're going to get introduced to the contestants on the show. And then number three is we're going to find out who wins the first season of The Bachelor, okay? So let's start off at verse 1, and let's look at The Bachelor himself, starting at verse 1. After these things, when the anger of King Ashuerus had abated, he remembered Vashti and what she had done and what, she had, what had been decreed against her. Now, let me take a moment to pause here. Remember I mentioned last week, if you were here, that when a decree went out according to the law of the uh, Medes and Persians, that edict could not be revoked. So once he made the edict to remove her, he could not, re he could not actually take that back if he wanted to receive her back as his queen. Okay? So that's why it says, the second portion of this, it's important to make that connection that he remembers what had been decreed against her. It, maybe he's having some second thoughts. Then the king's young men who attended him said, let beautiful young virgins be sought out for the king. They see the king's a little depressed. They said, hey, let's get a whole bunch of young virgins for the king young, uh, to, and bring them to the king. Great solution, it sounds like. Terrible advice. Verse 3, 
And let the king appoint officers in all the provinces of his kingdom to gather all the beautiful young virgins to the harem in Susa, the citadel, under the custody of Hagi, the king's eunuch, who is in charge of the women. Let, their cos let cosmetics be given to them. And let the young woman who pleases the king be queen instead of Vashti. This pleased the king, and so he did so. Okay? So the king follows the advice. Now we know between chapter 1 and chapter 2, there's at least a four-year gap. At least a four-year gap to when, we, when the king actually meets Esther. And we know that because uh, the chapter begins in chapter 1. The celebration of the king was during his third year of his reign. And then we talk, when we look on later, when he meets Esther, it's not till the seventh year of his reign. So that's either four years from when he directly meets her or four years from when all of these events actually begin. So this guy held some grudges. It took him four years to essentially calm down potentially from his anger and from what he believed Vashti to do wrong while he was drunk and made bad decisions himself. And he, if he had just resolved the conflict with his wife, then maybe he still actually would be married. But no, he, instead he sets out an edict that he can no longer revoke. We all have choices, just like the king. And especially within a marital relationship, we all have the choice to stay in our pride. We have the choice to keep up in our sin. Or in the case if we want to keep our relationship, we can actually approach this and approach the conflict in a healthy way and hopefully bring resolution. Have you ever done something when you were angry and then later regretted something that you did or say? Anybody ever done that before? Right? That's why there's good advice to never make a decision while you're angry. That's why it's really good advice sometimes when you say something in the moment, try to hold your tongue as much as you can. Because it's not wrong necessarily to get angry, but then how we respond to that anger often comes out in very volatile ways. And then we say, we can't take words back. Once those are out there and once you've directed them, especially at your spouse, we, when you're married, you know all the buttons to push to get your spouse to be angry. And unfortunately, sometimes we don't fight fair. We like to hit below the belt. And so when we're fighting, we'll throw out all those, I call them daggers. We throw those daggers out and we're pushing those buttons. Because at that moment, our pride and anger rises up in us. And instead of quenching our tongue or taking a step back or taking a moment to pause and let cooler heads prevail, we say things and then are not able to take them back. And we, it produces regret. And then often sometimes trust and things of that nature are broken and then have to be reestablished. We have all made dumb decisions in the middle of our anger. I am guilty as charged as well. So the king's young attendants saw that he was having a rough time, so what did they suggest? Hey, you need a woman. Let's get you a woman. How about we get you a whole bunch of women, all right? You've just been depressed around here, around, you know, you're remembering Vashti now. We're just going to take her off your mind. We're just going to get you a whole bunch of women. So sometimes we don't always get the best advice, right? You ever have those people in your life that just offer advice whether you ask for it or not? We have those people too. But then there are times in our lives when we genuinely, people want to, they think they're giving us words that might be good for us and they give us bad advice. And if we act upon that advice, sometimes it's not a good thing. When we don't have Christ, we'll always reach for things or for people to try to find fulfillment that we can only find in Jesus. We reach, we try to fill that void. In this case, his friends say, you know what? Let's fill that void with a whole bunch of women. In our case, we could say that we could fill that void with a whole bunch of things. 
So the search begins for eligible virgins, these young, unmarried women from across the Persian Empire, which span roughly 3 million square miles. We know from extra-biblical sources from the historian Josephus that he said there were about 400 women selected. Another commentator estimated that if the king had had a different girl each night for four years, it would have been 1,460 women. That's a lot of women. That's a lot of people. The king loved beautiful women. He loved beautiful things. And these women spent 12 months getting ready, all glammed up for one night with the king. 12 months of preparation. As we're going to read what they went through, uh, lavishing their bodies with different ointments and different things and fragrances to, to get them all glammed up to, for one night with the king. Look at verse 12, and we're going to come back to this verse. And we're going to unpack it, and we're going to get really raw when we get back to this verse. Verse 12, now when the turn came for each young woman to go into King Ashuerus. This is a euphemism, ladies and gentlemen. You can read between the lines what this means. To go into King Ashuerus after being 12 months under the regulations for the women, since this was the regular period of their beautifying, six months with oil of myrrh, and six months with spices and ointments for women. So they did all this prep work to go meet the bachelor. So let's look at the dating profile of the king. Let's look at his dating profile. So here's the dating profile of King Ashuerus. By the way, if you've ever seen the movie One Night with the King, I stole that image from One Night with the King. Okay? So if we, if we were filling out a dating profile for King Ashuerus, and if we were being honest, it would say something like this. He's a womanizer. Obsessed with wealth, obsessed with power, you could say obsessed with himself. He's got anger issues. He's not a one-woman kind of man. He likes to have his little, you know, women on the side. And, P.S., maybe he loves long walks on the beach. I don't know. So how many of you ladies are going to highlight this, this on, if this was, you were reading this dating profile, are you swiping left? We're swiping left right on this one. You're just swiping by him. You know, he's just putting it out there, and we, he ain't the right fit. We're swiping left on that one. This is not a Disney story. This is not Disney princess. This isn't, this isn't the princess looking to become the queen. This is, there is nothing glorious and glamorous about this story, especially as we start unpacking it. Imagine the ugly situation it is. Imagine if you are either a Persian dad or mom, or especially if you're a Jew in Persia, you get a knock on your door because your daughter is a virgin, and you get a knock on your door and saying that her presence is requested at the house of the king, and you know she's never going to return. What do you think about that? You kind of play in your minds exactly what is going to happen in this situation. This guy is a flawed character to say the least, but even God is going to use this unbeliever who makes terrible circumstances for his people and his subjects for the purpose of this story. It reminds me a lot of, in many different ways, what happens in the book of Exodus, how God uses a pagan king, Pharaoh, to eventually when God then delivers his people. And when he delivers his people, he delivers them with all of this bounty from Egypt and yet somehow works even in the midst of a pagan king. Because God works through flawed people and circumstances for his purpose. How many of you are grateful for that reality? I certainly am. 
Let's talk about the contestants. Look at verse 5. Now there was a Jew in Susa, the citadel, whose name was Mordecai, the son of Jair, the son of Shimi, son of Kish, a Benjamite. Brief note about Mordecai, because he's going to be a very big supporting character as we continue on in the story. Well, let's read verse 6 first, and verse 7. Who had been carried away from Jerusalem among the captives carried away with Jeconin, king of Judah, whom Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, had carried away. Verse 7, he was bringing up Hadassah, that is Esther, the daughter of, of his uncle, for she neither had father nor mother. The young woman had a beautiful figure and was lovely to look at, and when her father and mother had died, Mordecai took her as his own daughter. So what we know about Mordecai is that he's from the tribe of Benjamin. His great-grandfather, Kish, went into captivity with Je Jehoiakim, Mordecai and Esther were likely descendants of nobility in Jerusalem. He was Esther's cousin, who then took upon a fatherly role and adopted her because her parents were deceased. He stepped into that fatherly role for her. And he becomes a very important character in the story. Look at verse 8. So when the king's order and edict were proclaimed, and when many young women were gathered in Susa, the citadel, in custody of Hagi, Esther also was taken into the king's palace and put in the custody of Hagi who had charge of the women, verse 9. And the young woman pleased him and won his favor. Very important phrase. You should highlight the word favor. And he quickly provided her with her cosmetics and her portion of food and with seven chosen young women from the king's palace and advanced her and her young women to the best place in the harem. She's got the penthouse suite in this place. Esther had not made known her people or kindred, for Mordecai had commanded her not to make it known. So now we are introduced to who becomes the heroine in the story. We find out a little bit of background history about Esther, a.k.a. Hadassah, okay? So she's described as a woman who is easy on the eyes, and beauty is something that comes from God, and God was going to use her beauty for his purposes. There were many beautiful people, that, uh, beautiful women that were gathered together, and yet Esther caught the eye specifically of the one that, who was keeping in charge over this harem, appointed over these women, Hagi. Now, listen to the comments he made about her. He says that she, well, it says that she received his favor. Now, this word should trigger something in your mind. When the word favor, we hear it in this context, you should think about she received grace and kindness. It reminds me of Joseph's story. Joseph's story, as he was in Egypt, as he was in a foreign land under a pagan king as well, through numerous different acts, he received favor. If you read Joseph's story over and over and over again, you'll read that Joseph found favor in this site. Joseph found favor in this site. It's the same idea. It's the same word. The idea is that grace and kindness the working, the inner working of God, working behind the scenes, is extended through human agency in this way. She is promoted into a place where, in theory, she shouldn't have been in this context. It's because God's favor was on her. It gave her a significant advantage over her fellow contestants. Hagi gave Esther seven attending maidens who were the pick of the law and then provided for Esther and her maidens the best apartment in the harem. Look at verse 12. Let's read it again. And when the turn came for each young woman to go into King Ashuerus, after being 12 months under the regulations for the women, since this was the regular period of their beautifying, six months with oil of myrrh and six months with spices and ointments for women, 
when the young women went into the king in this way, she was given whatsoever she desired to take with her from the harem to the king's palace. Verse 14. In the evening she would go in, and in the morning she would return to the second harem in the custody of Shazgaz, one of the coolest names in the Bible. It's just got a cool ring to it. The king's eunuch, who was in charge of the concubines. Notice we have changed terms. Really important. She would not go into the king again unless the king delighted in her and she was summoned by name. Let's unpack this a little bit. So the routine was that each young virgin spent the night with the king and the next morning was placed into a different part of the harem where the people who lived there were considered concubines. That's a really uh, toned-down term for basically prostitutes. So after the king was done with you, if you were not selected, you went into a place where everybody knew you were a prostitute. You were basically a sexual favor at that point. Can you think about that for a moment? As I said, this is not a Disney story. This is not glamorous. This isn't a contest that is righteous in every way looking for a new queen. No, every part of this is wrong. Especially in our context when we think about what this actually means. Let me not get ahead of myself, but. For all intents and purposes, this is a sick tryout of sorts. The only real difference between the bachelor in that sense and this story is that at the end there's a crown instead of a rose. If she found favor with the king, he would call her again. If not, she had a lonely life in the harem. If a woman was not selected, she was no longer fit for marriage. She wasn't marriage material. She was destined to live her life as an on-call prostitute. Whenever the king wanted her, he could have her. Whenever the king desired that he wanted that extra one on the side, he would just call his, the, the, the person who was the head of the harem, and then he would just bring her. She would never go back into society. She would never be back with her family. She would stay there in residence there, basically on call. For all intents and purposes, when we talk about especially bringing this to our cultural reality, this is sexual abuse. It's what it is. It's sexual exploitation. It is a man who's in power, who has the power to basically domineer over a woman in this case, to be able to do whatever he wanted to do with her sexually. And there was no ramifications for it. Please hear me. If you're here today, and you have in any way been touched by, whether you personally or someone in your family, sexual abuse, sexual harassment, I am deeply, deeply, profoundly sorry for the trauma that you have experienced. Whether you're male or female, this crosses genders. It's so sad that it's a very real reality in our culture. In this culture, it's accepted. The king just has sovereign power in all kinds of different ancient cultures. The king was seen as a god. So if the king is a god, the god can do whatever the heck he wants. Now, in our culture, when we look at this, unfortunately, those who are in power still take advantage of those who do not have the power. And when those who are in power take advantage of people in such a depraved kind of way, in this way, People's voices feel like they're stolen. People don't feel safe to be able to express the deep trauma that has been done to them. 
Sometimes people's voices are rejected. And then perpetrators continue to go about. I recently, just last night, was watching the movie She Said. She Said is a, a movie about the, the report that broke out in the New York Times related to the Harvey Weinstein scandal and how it basically was the catalyst for the Me Too movement and then how all these different things have happened since then where perpetrators have been brought to light and where workplace things have changed and policies because of all these things that have, have transpired since then. Unfortunately, it's very real news, front page news all the time where we still hear where this has gone on in the workplace. Where this sin is still propagated. It's not acceptable. If you have personally experienced that and people have rejected your voice, I want to hear your voice. It wasn't acceptable then, it's not acceptable now. And the reality is, is in the midst of this, somehow God is going to use this very broken and messed up situation. And God is going to use it to work about his thing. But it doesn't mean that it's good. It doesn't mean that God is signing off on it just because God is going to somehow use it for his glory. This, Esther is not some Disney princess. Everything, this goes against everything that the Jews stood for, but what choice did she have? She is a Jew in a foreign land under the power of an opposing kingdom to which if she rejected the king anyway, she wasn't like Vashti who was a Persian. If she rejected the king, he could have just executed her. He had absolute sovereign power. Look at verse 15. And when the turn came for Esther, the daughter of Abihail, the uncle of Mordecai, who had taken her as his own daughter to go into the king, she asked for nothing except with Hagi, the king's eunuch, who had charge of the women, advised. Now Esther was winning favor in the eyes of all who saw her. There's the word again. She's winning favor. And when Esther was taken to King Ashuerus into his royal palace in the tenth month, in the month of Tebeth, in the seventh year of his reign, she was winning favor over and over again. No one is going to stop what God wants to do through his people. When God wants to do something and God wants to work through the life of an individual, God's grace and favor will come from all sides. And it will come from different ways and different experiences than we would ever, ever expect of it. As I said, I think that there's a lot of parallels in this story to the story of Joseph in a, very, in a different context, obviously, where in a foreign land, receiving favor, exalted in positions where he shouldn't have been as a Jew in a foreign context. Same thing with the book of Daniel. I think there's connection here with the book of Daniel as well. But God is going to utilize this very brutal kind of situation and exploitation in order to exalt Esther where she can become the queen to be able to save her people where an edict will then be issued that cannot be revoked that will bring salvation to her people. How many of you like to go to the theater and like to see stage plays, live plays? I love, I love the theater. I do love the way that the medium of play and film can communicate a message. Now, the production of a live play goes well beyond the actors that are on the stage. If you've ever been to a live play, you'll see there will be times when the curtains are drawn and all the action is going on right in front of you on the stage before you to be able to see. 
But then there will be times when the curtains are drawn and the curtains are closed. You don't see all the action that's going on behind the stage, but there's a whole lot of action that's being going on when the scene is complete. What is happening? There are sets that need to be changed. There are costume changes that are happening. There are lights that are being changed out. And there are all these things as these stagehands are working furiously then to open the curtain again for the next scene to be able to take place. But at that time, your view isn't, please hear me. Your view is obstructed, but that doesn't mean that action is not happening. Your view, you can't see what's going on, but there's a whole lot of activity that's still going on. There are several people who are working that will have a direct effect on what is going to happen once the curtain is then open and able for all to see again. Here's the connection I'm trying to make with you. Please catch this. God is working behind the pulled curtain. God is doing a whole bunch of things that you can't see. God is pulling levers. He's changing sets. He's moving new characters into your story. He's doing things to be able to set up situations and circumstances. That's his providence. That's his prerogative because he has the power. He has the authority to do so. He's moving you into different contexts. He's opening up doors for you. He's working in grace and working in power. He's doing all these things behind the scenes that when the curtain is finally open that you can see it's but God. And you know that he's been working. You haven't been able to see it, but when that curtain is closed and your view is obstructed, sometimes we think he's not working in the silence when we don't see him or when we don't feel like we feel him. But the reality is, is that he's working all the time for his people in the background. When he opens up the curtain and you see your jaw drops to the floor and you say, but God, I can't imagine how this situation would have worked out otherwise had God not intervened. I can't imagine how this situation would have worked for my better had God not intervened. I don't know how God was going to use this past mess if he had not intervened. And now I see it. I see that reality. I see what's happening. Because now it's been opened. God is always at work in the lives of his people. Even when you cannot see it. Esther's a perfect case in point of this. God is working behind the scenes. God has given her favor. He's now starting to draw the curtain open as to what is going to happen with the scene that's going to be a pivotal scene in her life. When Mordecai is going to make a statement to her that's so deeply profound, he says, maybe God has put you in a position for such a time as this. But she can't understand that unless this whole thing is happening to then bring her to the place where she becomes queen. So who's the winner of the story? Who wins the first season of The Bachelor? We know who that is. Look at verse 17. The king loved Esther more than all the other women. And she won grace and favor in his sight more than all the other virgins. So that he set the royal crown on her head and made her queen instead of Vashti. Then the king gave a great feast. This guy loves his parties, man. Let's throw another party. The king gave a great feast for all of his officials and servants. It was Esther's feast. He also granted a remission of taxes to the provinces and gave gifts with royal generosity. Hey, the people got a benefit out of this as well. He cut taxes. Apparently he's, he knows what to do as uh, if he was running for office, right? <laughs> but he cuts taxes and gives gifts with royal generosity. Here's the season finale. The choice is about to be made. Who's he going to give the rose to, a.k.a. the crown? And he gives it to his new bride and extends to her the crown. And if there was 
Twitter and media at that day. This is going viral. The choice has been made. Season one of The Bachelor, the winner is announced, and the crown has been given on her head. It's trending everywhere. The kingdom had not had a queen for the last four years. A new queen is to be crowned, and there's a party because that's what he likes to do. The headline of the Persian Times would read something like, A Jewish Orphan Becomes Queen. But of course, at that point, they don't yet know her identity. If Esther's story is to point out anything to us, it shows us that do not doubt God's ability to bring his will to pass. Do not doubt God's ability to bring his will to pass. Esther is a Jewish orphan who had everything working against her. Then she is forced into this reality TV show-like drama against her will, essentially. Her and many other beautiful women. She is keeping a secret as a Jew vying to be a Persian queen, and yet God is at work behind the scenes. I'm sure along the way Esther had her doubts, didn't know how this situation was going to play out, because she is not God. She cannot see the end from the beginning. Esther had one of three realities that was going to happen. The best reality was that she would be made queen. That's what happened. The second reality was that she would be used and then rejected and she would be an on-call prostitute. That's the second reality. The third reality is, is that once her, uh, her ethnicity got exposed, she potentially could have then been put to death. One of those three realities, those don't sound very good options. The most preferential option, the best option was what happened where she became queen. I'm sure along the way she had her doubts. Some of you today might be saying, Pastor, I don't know if God's purpose in my life is going to come. You may feel rejected or forgotten. But let me encourage you that if you are a child of God, if you have placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you are a child of the King and God is always at work in the life of his people. He's always at work behind the scenes. He never stops. God knows what he has in store for you, just like he knew what he had in store for Esther. He was ordering her steps. Scripture declares to us that the steps of the righteous are ordained by God. Even though God doesn't give you the whole entire view where you can see the complete horizon, God may just illuminate what the next step is, but God has got your back and he's got your path and he has it set before you. If you are a child of his, you are a child of the king, and the child of the king, God is working out all of his purposes in your life. I believe that fully. And he will grant you favor along the way. Just like a good story or movie, this chapter further develops the story and really shows how God is at work in the background and something larger is going on here. The Jews were oppressed and there was no way a Jew would be king. But God raises up instead a queen. And like, much like he did with Joseph and Daniel for the purpose of preserving his people under the rulership of a pagan king. Let's summarize this for you. Our one true statement today was that God works through flawed people and circumstances for his purpose. So as we were introduced to season one of The Bachelor, we were introduced to the king. We also saw all the contestants who came from all around, 400 to possibly 1,400 different women, vying not for a rose but for a crown. And a young orphan girl named Esther found favor, and she was the one who was selected as the winner. So how can we put this into practice? And then we're going to pray. Number one is my encouragement to you is that to remember that God has not forgotten about you. God has not forgotten about you. When you read the Old Testament, even if you read getting into the book of Exodus, there are many times when the cries of the people have gone out to God, and he may have not answered them in the time in which they wanted them to be answered. But 
over and over again, we hear God heard the cry of his people. God heard the cry of his people. God heard the cry of his people. God does not forget his children. He's not a neglective father. Just because we don't feel he's at work at times in our lives doesn't mean that he's not working. Doesn't mean that he's setting you up for something that you don't know is coming down the road. It doesn't mean that he's not positioning you and positioning other people in your life and your circumstances to bring about his will and his purpose. God has not forgotten you. The second thing I would encourage you is that sometimes we do not, our eyes are not attuned to be able to see exactly where God is at work. God is at work even in the small things. So my encouragement to you is just this week, is just to think about and just to be observant about how God is working in your life even right now, in even the smallest of details. I remember a number of years ago, there was a VBS that we did at our old church. And one of the activities for VBS is we had this wall, and it was talking about God sightings. And every day, the kids were to write ways in which they saw God working. And it was pretty beautiful and brought me to tears at the end of the week when you saw that whole entire wall filled. The volunteers and kids were writing how they saw God at work. And it was even in the smallest of things because sometimes we are so jaded and sometimes we are so unattuned to the reality of what is happening in our lives that we are not giving God credit for where he is at work. We're angry at him and saying God is not working in some big, big way that we think. And yet God is saying, I'm here in this still small voice. I'm here working in this way will you recognize and acknowledge it's me? So just this week, take the opportunity with eyes open, ask God to give you clarity, and make sure to return it back to him in praise. God, thank you for working in this way. Thank you for orchestrating that conversation that I wanted to have with my loved one. Thank you for giving me a new position at work. These different ways in which God is working, let's acknowledge him in praise and return it to him, for he is worthy. Let's pray. So Lord, as we take a step back and we think about as we have reflected on this, what has happened and transpired in this chapter, Lord, we know that it is not a good circumstance and good situation that brings about and brings to the forefront the introduction of our heroine and the circumstances of this story. And yet even the midst of depraved kind of circumstances, you are still at work. I thank you that you are the God who's always working behind the scenes. And that when that curtain is closed, Lord, and we can't see and our view is obstructed, sometimes we forget. But Lord, I pray that you would be very near and that we would walk, we would walk around with open eyes and open hearts even this week to see how you are at work. And Lord, I pray that if there's anyone under the sound of my voice today who has gone through life and has gone through all these different situations and circumstances and has come to a point where they don't know if, if you are there, and they may be questioning the reality of your presence, I pray that today that they would come to know you. Come to know that you came, that you came to this earth and that you died upon a cross and you rose again to pay the price for sin and that you want to be in an intimate and personal relationship with us, that you want to bring us into the kingdom of your son and that you want to call us children. And I pray that that reality would be for everyone today. So Lord, we love you and we praise you. We commit our hearts and our lives to you. In Jesus' precious and holy name.
by the power of the Spirit. Amen. I'm going to ask the prayer team to come forward, and we're going to take the opportunity, as we do every Sunday, to be able to have a time of prayer. This is an opportunity if you want to respond to the message in some way, if there's something specific we can pray for you about. If you have a specific request or anything like that, please give us an opportunity to be able to pray with you. The rest of you, I would encourage you, this is a time for us to engage with God and a time for us to worship. If you'd like to stand, you can stand as we worship or even where you are. Just pretend like it's you and God in the room. Maybe God spoke to you something during this message and there's something that you and God need to talk about. But let's take the opportunity to, to worship as what we're doing tonight, right now in this moment is something sacred and holy. Okay? So let's worship. Let's pray. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain. Holy, holy is He. Sing a new song to Him who sits on heaven. we
You guys may be seated for a moment. If it's your first time here at Firewheel, we are really glad that you took some time to worship with us. If you're joining us online and it's your first time as well, there's an opportunity for you to fill out a digital connection card. We'd love for you to be able to do that. But if you're here, uh, if you take the opportunity to scan the QR code behind me or when you exit the auditorium, if you'll visit the Welcome Center, we want to make sure to give you a gift for worshiping with us. Answer any questions that you might have about Firewheel and then see how we can come alongside of you in your spiritual journey wherever you're at. So you can fill out the card digitally or we have physical ones at the Welcome Center, and we'd love to be in touch with you and see how we can come alongside of you where you're at in your spiritual journey. I'm going to ask the ushers to come forward. We're going to worship the Lord through giving, and then we'll go ahead and get you dismissed here. So this is every Sunday, you know, this is an important aspect of what we do as well because uh, money is the tool that can be used for ministry. It's how we can have a facility like this. It's how we can outreach to other people. Unfortunately, I wish ministry was free, but it doesn't work that way. So we're grateful for God's blessing, and Lord, we just want to pray a blessing over the offering this morning. So Lord, we're grateful that we have the opportunity to worship through giving. We pray that you would bless the gift and the giver, and that Lord, that you would cause this uh, offering to multiply, and that we could be able to use it for your kingdom, for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Turn your attention to the screen for a few minutes. Hello, and welcome to Firewheel Bible Fellowship, where we strive to be Christ-centered and gospel-focused. Here's what's happening at Firewheel. Youth ministry kicks off for the new year this Wednesday night, while the adults join Doug Daughtry for Couples Talk. Child care is available. Regular Wednesday night programming for men's and women's Bible studies and kids' ministry begin February 15th at 7 p.m. There are many clothes to sort in the closet. Come help out at King's Closet in Royce City this coming Saturday from 9 a.m. to 12 p.m. As a bonus, pet some alpacas while you're at it. Let's help clothe the homeless in Dallas. Parents, need a night out? Drop off the kids in the Children's Building on Friday, February 10th from 6 to 8.30 p.m. and go out on a date or get some much-needed self-time. There will be pizza, indoor games, outdoor games, popcorn, and a movie for the kids. There's no set cost for this event, but we will be taking donations that will go towards sending kids to camp. For more information on these or any of our other events, go online to firewheelfellowship.com, or you can always check us out on social media. All right, if you're saying, we'll go ahead and pray our blessing over you and we'll get you dismissed. So may the Lord go before you to light the path and give you direction. May he go behind you to guide your steps. May he go beside you to keep you from stumbling. May he go above you to protect you. And may he go within you to give you the power of the Holy Spirit. And may our Father in heaven always grant you the character that is greater than your gifts and humility that is greater than your influence. God bless you guys. Love you all so much. You're out of Smith. We'll see you next week. Mm.